Good morning, everybody. Great to see you in the house today. And uh, hey, we've had a pretty crazy week at our house. I just wanted you to know. Uh, we're super excited. Our youngest daughter, Abby, and her husband, Campbell, just uh, had a new baby boy uh, last Sunday night. So Super Bowl Sunday. So yeah, we're pretty excited about that. We were actually at a Super Bowl party. And at halftime, we were about to leave. And we looked at our phone and saw... SOS text message from her and we knew exactly what that meant and so we're calling and, and she's, gonna, she's going to labor and so Liz swooped in there 10 minutes before the baby was born. She got to be there uh, at the birth but man it was close call and, uh, and they got the video you know of it all and, and, and I got to see it and, and it was just uh, it was just so special right it's such a beautiful moment a beautiful time a very intimate time and uh, it's just pretty pretty incredible and uh, I think it's beautiful to God too I think when a, a person is born a human being is born into the world that's special in God's eyes and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about uh, today okay we are in this series called anchored we're looking at seven core doctrines of the faith and really what we're doing is we're building what we call a biblical worldview all these are, are in a order, if you will. We first talked about the authority of Scripture, and then we looked at the greatness of God last week, and now we're looking at the doctrine of man, okay? So once you get your Bible, once you open it up, everybody with an open Bible, if you didn't bring one, there's one right there at the seat, open up to Genesis chapter 1, first book in the Bible, first chapter of the first book. We are looking at uh, the doctrine of man. Now, when theologians speak about the doctrine of man, they're really speaking about the, the doctrine of mankind, male and female, everyone, all people, the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of mankind, uh, the doctrine of people. And this is a really, really important doctrine for us to get a hold of, especially today. You say, well, why is that? Two reasons. One is that the doctrine of man really speaks to the big questions of life. It really answers for us, why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? How do relationships work? What's wrong with the world? All these things we wrestle with, these existential questions of life are rooted in the doctrine of man. We, we gain answers through how God created us. The second reason why this is important is because really the doctrine of man is at the front lines of the culture war. Almost every controversial social issue that we're dealing with today can be found answered in the study of the doctrine of man. For example, uh, racism, uh, abortion, um, uh, gender, family, marriage, all of that kind of stuff is wrapped up in how God created us. And so we need to know what God says about it and how that impacts how we live uh, today. The title of the message today is, is a question. What's so special about you? Now you could say it kind of in a negative, like what's so special about you, right? Or you could say, what's so special about you? You know, however you want to choose to articulate that. But I hope that by the end of this message, you will be able to answer that question. Okay, so let's look at it. Genesis chapter 1 is where we are, beginning at verse 26 to the end of the chapter. 
And this is the word of God. Amen. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. And evening came, then morning, the sixth day. Now, I want you to underline, back, look up, back up to verse 26 and 27. I want you to underline every time there's a reference to the image of God. Notice in verse 26, he says, in our image. Verse 27, in his own image. Verse 27, the end of that, in the image of God, he created them. Just right over in the margin of your Bible, image of God. Right at the very beginning, we understand that God created mankind, God created people in the image of God. Imago Dei, the image of God. Now, theologians uh, call this special creation. So when you say it's special that someone's born, that, that you're kind of getting into the gist of it now. The special creation means that God created by divine act or by, by divine decree. It's not some long millions of years evolutionary process that God created definitively by a divine act. That is what theologians call special creation. Now, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does that mean? In a very general sense, it means that you're different than all other created beings. I mean, you're, you're different than all the other uh, animals that God created. That, uh, you know, it, would you just read the record? God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and the sky, the atmosphere. He created all the animals on the land, in the sea, in the air. But none of them reflected his image. So he, he says, let us make man in our image. There's something unique about you. Now, the naturalist would disagree. The naturalist would say that you're just lucky that you got to be on top of the food chain. You're, you're, you're just lucky that someone's not eating you at a special meal at a restaurant and not the other way around because you're, there's nothing different about you. There's nothing special about you. You're just another iteration of, of the plan of the uh, animals that roam the planet, but that's not what God says. God says that you're unique, that human beings are special, that human beings have imprinted on them the very image of God. Now, now theologians have written volumes on what does that mean? <laughs> the image of God. I mean, if I could, you'd probably take a whole course just on that subject. What does it mean that we are created in the image of God? 
So I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. I'm going to give you the top three uh, ways that theologians articulate this, right? There's the first one. Some think it means that we have the capacity to rule. Just as God rules the earth, he rules the universe, that we're in his image, and that he has created us with the capacity to rule over what he has created. And ruling implies intelligence. Ruling implies rational thought. Ruling implies the ability to discriminate and make choices and to do, uh, take action, right? And so we're created his image in that just as God rules everything that he has called us to rule over what he has created. And, and that certainly may be the case. Another, other people say, no, it's our capacity for relationships, that God is a relational being, that God exists in three persons, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, he is community in and of himself, and he created us to have communion with him and with others, and we learned in COVID that we don't do very good when we're in isolation. And so we need other people. We're, we're relational beings. And God creates the first man, the first woman, which forms the verse family that is the bedrock for the, for the church and ultimately for government and society at large. And so this is fundamental to how we're made. We're relational beings. And so many believe that's what it means to be in the image of God. Others think that it means our capacity for moral choices, that God is a moral being. And and he has freedom to choose. And so like God, we have freedom to choose right and wrong. We can choose to obey or disobey. We, we have freedom of will and choice that we exercise. And in so being, we, we uh, reflect the image of God. All those could be true. And I'm sure all those are true to some degree. But I think at the bedrock of it all, the image of God really means that, that we have a purpose that human beings exist for a purpose, that we are, we are not random, that we bear God's image and we have a purpose and that is to know God and to glorify God and to make him known. That's why you are here. So that when people see you, they see something of God. When they see you, you're a reflection of, of, of God himself. To know God to glorify God and to reflect him to the world around us. Now, that's not the case for all the other animals on the planet, all right? Uh, I, I've got a Labradoodle at our house named Gunner. He's an eight-year-old Labradoodle with anxiety issues, okay? He's got problems. And, uh, and so last Sunday, you probably remember, last Sunday was rainy, and so we decided we weren't gonna leave him outside like we normally do. We'd bring him inside and see how it went. And of course, when we got home, Gunner had sent a message to us of his displeasure, and this is what we saw. He, he emptied out the bookshelves as far as he could reach and pulled them all out and piled them on the floor, all right? Now, one person I showed that picture, they said, oh, poor thing. I'm like, poor thing, you know, he's lucky I didn't kill him, you know? I'm just joking, don't send me an email. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, I, listen, Gunner's not taking his anxiety to the Lord. He's not casting his cares on the Lord. He's not seeking God. Lord, Lord, help me help self-control. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit within him. He doesn't have that. He's not seeking God. God's not seeking him. He's a dog, right? He's not worried about why he exists and what's his purpose on the earth. He's not worried about all the other dogs in the neighborhood and if they know Jesus or not. He doesn't care about all that <laughs> because he's a dog. But human beings are different and you're different than that. 
and that you have a higher purpose than just mere existence. That your higher purpose is to know God and to glorify God and to reflect him to everyone around you so that people know there's a God because they see you that somehow you're reflecting what he's like. See, that's what it means to bear the image of God. This is what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. I love that. Now, this is really important because if every person is creating the image of God, then that means every person matters to God. And if every person matters to God, then that has radical implications for how we live. This is why Christians oppose racism and classism. Why? Because every person, no matter your ethnicity, no matter what country you're from, no matter what language you speak, no matter where you are in the economic status, no matter what, that every person matters to God, that they are stamped with the image of God. This is why we oppose abortion and euthanasia. Why? Because every life is stamped with the image of God. And especially those of the most vulnerable need that kind of protection. I mean, the early church, uh, they uh, rescued babies that were tossed by the riverbank and, and tossed in the gutters. And they brought them into their homes and raised them. They, they cared for the sick and diseased, even at the risk of their own lives. They built hospitals and orphanages. Why did they do that? Because they were driven by this conviction that every person matters to God. And life is important. And worth protecting. See, it all comes down to the doctrine of man. Because of this, uh, we champion biblical manhood and womanhood and, and marriage. We, we champion the beauty of biblical masculinity where a man in his great love protects his family, provides for his family, serves his family, the sacrifices for his family at all costs. We see the beauty of uh, biblical uh, womanhood that nurtures and loves and cares and is devoted and faithful to her family and out of her gifts and talents, she serves the Lord, locking arms with her husband with equality and... and uh, and uniqueness, and in a complementary way, they, they work together as partners, as co-regents, theologians say, to serve God and to rule over creation and to bless his name. This is why we, we champion marriage, because the covenant of marriage, which is mentioned right here, he created the male and female, and you see that marriage is, is, the, is the bringing the two of those first, that first man, that first woman, and that is a place where faithful love and fidelity is put on display to reflect God's love for us and our love for him. And a place where we can raise godly children and nurture them in the name of the Lord and then release them to the world to make much of Jesus. See, this, all of this comes back down to the doctrine of man. It comes back to Genesis chapter one. So it's really important. Of course, our culture opposes all of that. All of that. Every, every aspect of creating God's image, uh, the understanding of gender and marriage, all of that is opposed. The academic communities today stand completely against special creation. However, Jordan Peterson, you may know who he is, a psychologist from Canada, he said that Genesis 127 is, quote, the cornerstone of civilization. Uh, 
He said, quote, each individual has something of a transcendent value about them. Man, I tell you, we dispense with that idea at our serious peril, end quote. And I agree with him. So you look at verse 31. Look at verse 31 again. It says, God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Very good. This is how God intended things to be. Very good. Now, you might have a problem with verse 37. You say, well, see, preacher, that's where I got an issue. My issue is, man, this doesn't look very good to me. When I look around me, I don't see a lot of very good. I see a lot of abuse. I see a lot of hatred. I see a lot of confusion. I see a lot of, of, of division and tribalism. I see a lot of, uh, I just see a mess. How can that be very good? How could God make us like that? And the real issue, though God created us to be very good, there's an answer for the mess that we're in, and that is this tiny little word called sin. Sin. And because of sin, the image of God has been distorted, not been erased. People still made the image of God, whether they know him or not, but that image has been uh, distorted. When you look at Genesis chapter 2, God gives Adam uh, some parameters. He said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. You continue to read in Genesis chapter 3, and that Eve is enticed, Adam ate, and sin came into the world. Now, you might say, well, what, what is sin anyway? I mean, exactly, since we're laying down foundations, we should go ahead and get a good definition of what is sin. Uh, Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, he said, quote, sin is a failure to conform to the moral law of God. That's probably a good technical term, but what it really means is sin is disobedience. Sin is disobeying God. Sin is not acknowledging the authority of God, not glorifying God, not acknowledging God, not obeying God, not doing what God has uh, called us to do and told us to do to which would glorify him, but to say, I am my own authority. I will live how I want to. I'm the captain of my own life. Nobody tells me what to do. I will define myself and I will do as I please. That is in essence what sin is. It is rebellion against God. Oftentimes it's called rebellion. It's called lawlessness. It's called trespass. These are legal terms to try to grab a hold of what sin is. And when Adam sinned against God by doing exactly what he was told not to do, sin entered the world and entered the bloodstream of the human race. Like a virus. You know, when, when COVID was around, everybody was afraid of getting the virus, right? Everybody stayed home and got to wear a mask. And everyone was so afraid of the virus. Listen, there's a virus a lot more dangerous than the COVID virus. It's the SIN virus, all right? I'm speaking, of course, metaphorically here. But it, is, it, is, it permeates the very nature of us. Beginning with Adam and on down. It has polluted the human race and... All of us are bent towards sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, in the same way death spread to all people because all sin. And this is the universal condition of man, of humanity. The image of God imprinted on every person has been distorted, marred. We have fallen short, Romans 3.23 says, of the glory of reflecting God. We have fallen short of that. 
And this virus, this sin has impacted every single one of us. We are now not only sinners by choice, but also by nature. You don't, uh, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You you never notice you don't have to teach a two-year-old to throw a fit or disobey their parents or lie. Or I, I remember I was... Should I tell this? Okay. Uh, I, I was in Chick-fil-A, you know, and, and I'm sitting there and, and we're eating and this little kid comes in. He's probably five years old. I don't know who he is. He's talking to somebody behind him. He turns around and says, it's mine. And then he goes to the play area, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, there it is. <laughs> there it is. That sinful nature. It's, that's what we do. It's mine. It's mine. I live my life. It's inbred in us. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And you may hear our culture say, oh, we're okay. Everyone's basically good. You know, it's just a few people. Yeah, we make a few mistakes, but we're all basically good. And and yet, how can we explain the horrors that we see every night on our newsfeed? If we are honest with ourselves, we know there's something wrong. There's something wrong with us. The song, Save Me, uh, was very popular last year. It hit number six on the Billboard Country playlist. It was written by a country artist named Jelly Roll, and he co, um, co-produced it and sang it with Lainey Wilson. I wanted just to, now this is one of the top country songs in 2023. Most listened to. Listen to these lyrics. Somebody save me, me from myself. I've spent so long living in hell. They say my life is bad for my health. It's the only thing that seems to help. All this drinking and smoking is so hopeless, but feel like it's all that I need. Something inside me is broken. I hold on to anything that sets me free. I'm a lost cause. Baby, don't waste your time on me. I'm so damaged beyond repair. Life has shattered my hopes and my dreams. Why is that one of the number one country songs? Because it resonates in every one of us. This is not just talking about addiction. This is talking about all of us. We are damaged beyond repair. The image of God to glorify God has somehow been distorted and we can't fix it. And what does sin do? Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 two tells us just very bluntly, your sin has separated you from God. You ever wonder why God seems so far away and I just don't know what, just, he just seems so out there. Yeah, our sin has separated, that fellowship you were created to know God and walk with God, glorify him, make him known. And it's been ripped and ruptured. And we feel it deep inside of us. You go ahead and look, read through the rest of Genesis. You see that beautiful marriage now fractured, blaming one another. That beautiful family now pit one against the other. Jealousy, rage, murder. And it just spins out from there. And that's the world in which we live. The truth is we are not now as God created us to be. 
The goodness God declared when he created mankind is gone. We are not fully human as God initially created us. We are less than human. We are sinful. We're a wreck. Welcome to Cross Creek Church, by the way. All right, now I know you're probably thinking, well, why did God do that? Why did he make the world that way, right? Couldn't God have made the world a perfect place where there was no sin, there was, I mean, we just love each other and care for each other. Why didn't God do that? Couldn't God have done that? And the answer is, of course, yes, but he didn't. Why? Well, let's suppose that uh, my daughter Abby and her husband Campbell decide, you know, we really want another child, but we're, we're going to go a kind of unconventional approach this time. Um, we're we're going to just make a robot baby, okay? We're going to make a robot baby, and uh, and this robot baby is going to be perfect. I mean, you, you can choose your the eye color, the hair color, uh, everything about it. You can program its personality to be just the way we want it to be. We want athletic baby or smart baby or, you know, creative baby. We can, we can program that all in, and, and this baby is going to be perfect. This baby is never going to have to have its diaper changed. It's going to be fully AI compliant, so we don't have to teach it anything. It's going to know everything right from the very beginning. And, and uh, it's never going to throw a fit. It's never going to disobey. It's never going to act out. It's not going to keep us up in the middle of the night. It's going to be the perfect baby, the perfect child. Sounds great, doesn't it? This baby will be able to do anything except love. Because love requires a freedom to choose. It may be able to kiss you and say mommy, daddy, but it cannot love you. I remember listening to um, John Lennox. John Lennox is a professor at Oxford, math, mathematics and ethics. Brilliant man. He was lecturing at Rice University. And in there, he basically said that you have to remember that for there to be love, there must be the freedom to choose. And if you have the freedom to choose, you must also have the freedom to reject. If you have the freedom to truly love, then you also have the freedom to hate. If you have the freedom to embrace, you also have the freedom to push away. And he said, why do parents do it? Parents have babies all the time. Why do you take the risk? Why do you take the risk? You could have a child that pushes you away. You could have a child that hates you. You could have a child that opposes you. I mean, why, why take the risk? But God took a risk on you. God took a risk when he created you. Because he made you moral beings that could choose to love him or reject him, to accept him or push him away. And what we're experiencing today in our culture is a culture that has rejected the love of God. Romans 1.21, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and, and their senseless hearts were darkened. And that's the darkness that we see in our world. And you may say, well, did God make a provision uh, any way? If, we, if things went wrong? And the answer is yes. The provision was his own son. That image of God that was stamped on you at your at creation, that you bear, image bearer, that was distorted and marred by sin can be restored. That image can be restored. 
because Jesus came to us. And when Jesus came to us, he was fully God, fully divine, but he was also fully man. Not sinful man, like we are, but as man was created to be. He, he was, that's why he's called the second Adam. And just as Adam failed uh, by disobeying God, Jesus perfectly obeyed his father. He came and he revealed truth to us. He revealed the father to us. And then he went to a cross because he had no sin in and of himself. He was now free to place on his back your sin and to die in your place. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. We're going to talk about the cross next week. But I want you to understand that it was a choice, an expression of God's great love for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the image restored. Now, when I, after the baby was born last week, uh, I got to get over there. I got over there well after midnight. They bundled him up. They said, here you go, preacher. That's what they call me. So they put him in my arms and I'm holding him, looking at him, just marveling at this wonder. And it struck me, this little guy is special because he's made in the image of God. He's an image bearer. But he's going to make his choices in life. He's coming into a dark world. He's going to make his choices. He's going to, he's going to struggle. He's going to sin, guarantee it. But when he does, he has a Savior who is Christ the Lord, who has come to take away his sin and to make him right with God. So the question is, what makes you so special? It's that very thing, that you were created in the image of God, an image bearer, born to know God and to, and to glorify God with your life and to reflect his glory to everyone around you. But sin has marred us, has tainted that glory, but Jesus came to restore it. And you can be who God created you to be. You can fulfill your purpose. And that starts with coming to Jesus. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. Maybe you're here today and you say, Craig, I, when you talk about something wrong in me, I get it. I know my own thoughts. I know my own motives. I know what I've done. I know where I've been. Maybe you resonate with that song, I'm broken beyond repair. I'm a lost cause. But my friend, God loves you so much that he sent his only son to you to redeem you, to restore you, and to make you new. And as the Spirit of God works within us, then He begins to grow us and mature us and reshape us and reform us more and more into His image so that we reflect Him to the world around us. Do you know Jesus? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you go to heaven? 
Do you know for sure that you're right with God? Has there been a moment in time when you know for sure that your sin has been erased, that you were born again into the family of God? And if you say, well, I'm not so sure about that, then today's your day. This is your opportunity. Right now, God brought you to this place for this moment to say yes to Jesus, to repent of your sin, to acknowledge it, and to run to a Savior. So I'm going to say a simple prayer of faith. And maybe today you say, Pastor, that's what I need. I want, to, I want to be right with God. I want to get my life right with God. I know only Jesus can change me. Only he can save me. And with your heads bowed, I just want you to lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. And I'll see your hand. I won't call you out, but I will see your hand. And I will lead you in a prayer right where you're seated to trust Christ. So right now, if you're here, say, Pastor, God's moving in my heart. God's convicting me right now. I need the Lord. Just lift up your hand right where you are. Lift it up right now. Pastor, pray for me. Pastor, pray for me, all right? Okay. Anybody else? Lift it up. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. God's moving you. God's convicting you. He's drawing you right now. All right. Anybody else? Okay. Put your hand down. Just pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way and I've lost my way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead for me. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Please make me new. Today I choose to follow you. And I want to know you. And I want to glorify you with my life. And I want to reflect you to everyone around me. Thank you for loving me. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the truth of it. Lord, our world rejects it completely. But your truth remains Lord, help us to live this week as image bearers. Help us to reflect you so that people can see our behavior and see our love and see our grace and see how we treat even our enemies and those who hurt us. Lord, let us be mirrors that proudly reflect your glory so that people will be drawn to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite everyone to come to you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.